Good morning. We offer a cordial welcome to this assembly for all who are here, especially those who may be visiting, maybe some of you for the first time. We invite your attention to the Bible every time we come here. The book of Romans this morning, chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome as he was directed by the Holy Spirit. Paul explains the gospel plan of salvation. He answers a variety of arguments about it. He issues warnings. He anticipates objections. He does all that as guided into the truth of God by the Holy Spirit. Then beginning in chapter 12, Paul says in words that are implied from the content, here's what all of this means to us. Like a preacher saying, we have read and studied the text, we know the truth from God, now let's consider what God says we ought to do about that. And part of that section in the book of Romans is what I'm going to read now, verses 1 through 7 in Romans chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former times was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, and together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Near the end of last year, as I was engaged in my sermon planning and looking at my preaching calendar, I saw the value of preaching some sermons, or maybe at first I thought one sermon, under the title, What Would the Prophets Say? If the prophets of the Old Testament could visit our society, come to America, make observations about where we are as a culture, what would the prophets say? Christ has already been here, and he is enthroned at the right hand of God, <coughs> so the prophets wouldn't be issuing prophecies about his birth, life, or death. But what would they say about our moral values? Or what would they say about the absence of moral values? What would they say about various attitudes and behaviors and relationships they would observe commonly approved today. 
I thought this was needed, and I continue to think this is a good approach. Because, as it says here in Romans 15, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. And so, thinking about this, I jotted down my initial thoughts about such a sermon. And at first, I thought of just one sermon under the title, What Would the Prophets Say? And I decided I would cover four subjects. Alcohol, abortion, apostasy, and apathy. I wanted it to be easy to remember. I wanted to stress God's moral law as delivered by the prophets of the Old Testament. And so several weeks ago, I went on preparing this sermon, one sermon with four topics, alcohol, abortion, apostasy, and apathy. I quickly determined it would not be effective to attempt to get into any depth about that with one sermon. So at the same time, I became focused on one of these, abortion. And that's what I'm going to cover in this sermon. The other topics will be delivered later in the year. So here's the way I launch this. If the prophets were here today, knowing what is happening to babies, what would they say? I'm not concerned in this sermon with what politicians say. The courts, human judges, lawmakers, campaigners, political platforms, mainstream social media, all of the back and forth, not my concern now. What does the Bible say about killing babies? And what would the prophets speak if they were here? I'll get to that, I promise. But first, some background from the Bible can help us get started. See, you might hear someone say, in the history of the world, there's never been anything like this. Would you please open your Bible to Exodus chapter 1? Exodus chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 8 through 17 in just a moment. After Joseph, the descendants of Abraham are in bondage in Egypt. A new king arose <clears throat> with fear that the Israelites were growing at such a rate it might someday turn into a takeover. Having no fear of God, driven by his own purposes, here's what he did in Exodus 1, beginning at verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many. And too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to inflict them with heavy burdens. 
They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and in brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Zephrah and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. And if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. When midwives didn't cooperate, the new king said, Throw those Israelite boys in the river. What do you call that? That's killing babies. It isn't a new thing. But it's always been immoral for men and women to kill babies. Turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 through 15. You are familiar with this narrative about the birth of Christ. Do you remember this part in verses 7 through 15 of Matthew chapter 2? Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time 
that he had ascertained from the wise men. What does Herod do? He kills babies. Verse 16 is exceedingly clear. Herod shows himself, therefore, to be similar to Pharaoh in this regard. This selfish disregard for human life. It was convenient for Pharaoh and Herod to kill babies. Abortion is not just a modern evil invention. Its horror is documented in human history. In this country... If you harm an unborn eagle, just tamper with the egg or the nest. The fine can run up to $250,000. Kill an unborn human, not only no fine, but in our time, by some, it is celebrated. Do you remember the horror of 9-11-2001? An act of violence carried out against this nation when those two buildings in the World Trade Center were destroyed. Nearly 3,000 people killed. There's now a memorial on that site with the names of the dead inscribed in bronze, lest we forget. Eleven of those names were unborn children still inside their mothers when the attack took place. I'm telling you that what Pharaoh did, what Herod did, the enemies of this nation repeated, and it's called killing babies. One man expressed it in very vivid terms, but true. He said, if a baby were outside the womb and you stuck a knife through its chest, you'd be charged with first-degree murder. But if you killed the child inside the womb, it is called a human right. We are justified in the assignment of shame on those who celebrate and perpetuate the killing of babies. May our righteous indignation never be diminished by cultural pressure or politically correct temptation. But I promised you, what would the prophets say? We know what the prophets would say because we know what they did say. Please turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, please. Verses 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. So what would Jeremiah say? I believe Jeremiah would say what God told him. God said to the prophet, I formed you and consecrated you. Who was God talking to? He was talking to a person about his earliest existence inside his mother. 
It may well be argued Jeremiah knew about the personhood of babies in their mothers before God spoke these words. If so, this confirmed what Jeremiah knew already and directly from God he had this truth upon which to base his continued respect for human life. Is there any doubt what Jeremiah would say about killing babies? What was written aforetime was written for our instruction and admonition. Amos chapter 1 and verse 13. During the time of Amos, there was intense, hostile rivalry among neighboring nations. The Ammonites were paranoid about the women of Gilead, believing their children would grow up and destroy them. And so, like Pharaoh and Herod, well, here's the passage, Amos 1, 13. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. It was convenient. It was easy to do for these barbarians. It served the interest of the expansion of their empire to kill unborn babies. We know what Amos would say, therefore, if he were up here preaching today. Jeremiah and Amos spoke the truth from their God about respect for human life. I want to take you to Ezekiel chapter 23, please. Ezekiel chapter 23. I'm going to start at verse 35. I think Ezekiel helps us understand that when you turn from God to idols... Whatever form those idols exist in, down that pathway, there is depravity. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, you yourself must bear the consequences of your lewdness and whoring. The Lord said to me, Son of man, Will you judge Ahola and Aholabah, declare to them their abominations? For they have committed adultery, <clears throat> and blood is on their hands. With their idols they have committed adultery, and they have even offered up to them for food the children whom they have borne to me. Moreover, this they have done to me, they have defiled my sanctuary, on the same day, and profaned my Sabbath, for when they had slaughtered their children in sacrifice to their idols on the same day, they came into my sanctuary to profane it, and behold, this is what they did to my house. 
This is hard to read and think about. And you don't even want to try to picture it in your mind, offering up their children. Idolatry, adultery, sacrificing children, it all seemed to be convenient. God said, declare to them their abominations. Verse 39 says, they slaughtered their children. Paul said, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. There's so many things I could say. So many other things. Additional observations and quotations and charts and graphics and politics and charges of hypocrisy and inconsistency. I could go into the scientific medical findings about life before birth there are studies and statistics and I'm sure things many of you know about and that I've not mentioned this morning. My job up here is to do one thing. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. I don't want people to leave here and remember charts and statistics and clever phrases and political strategy. I want you to leave here knowing and remembering what God said through the prophets as they conveyed God's eternal will for innocent souls. Innocent souls not forgotten in heaven. Abortion is immoral. Abortion is murder. God told the prophets to say to the people who were destroying their children, declare to them their abominations. The prophets of Israel functioned not only to tell people God's plan about sending a Savior. They also spoke of the future of Israel in exile and back home. But through all of that prophecy in the historical context of those men and their work, they were spokesmen for justice and righteousness. They identified and exposed wrong behavior and they delivered warnings to wrongdoers, especially pronounced was their righteous indignation against those who oppressed innocent victims. They were speaking words given by God, eternal moral truth that transcends dispensational boundaries and covenants. They were communicating God's strong displeasure when the innocent become victims of selfish, wicked men and women who exalt their own convenience above respect for God and respect for those made in His image. Modern abortion has become not only routine but now celebrated. May we never be silent. I want to take you to one more prophetic reference in Isaiah chapter 10 verses 1 through 4. 
Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Isaiah was writing about legislators who were writing law that reflected what served their desires, not righteousness and justice, but legislative selfishness. Isaiah 10, 1 to 4. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees, and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil, and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment? In the day of ruin that will come from afar, to whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. May we never be silent. Should you be ready to obey the gospel of Christ or come back to the Lord, we invite you to come while we stand to sing. Ooh, oh, oh.